0: I can, you know, through Aboriginal way, just reach out to some of our mobs. Working with the wider non-Aboriginal community and working with our own community together allows us to start eating. In the past, you know, people know who they are and that type of thing, but there hasn't been something there to
1: bring everything together, to bring people together, and Native Title has done that. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which this episode was recorded the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains. And I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to Aboriginal Way, a podcast brought to you by South Australian Native Title Services. And with me, I have General Manager of APY Lands, Richard King. And we're talking about 40 years of the APY Land Rights Act, um, which the celebration wasn't able to go ahead for October 2, which is the date. But we are here to talk about what's happened over the last 40 years. So, Richard, thanks for joining me.
0: Uh, thanks for inviting me down to have a chat with you, Caleb.
1: That's all right. So can you tell us a bit about the Land Rights Act?
0: Yeah, sure. The Land Rights Act came in on in uh, you know, the 2nd of October 1981 and was a result of quite a few elders wanting to claim their land back and wanting better access to their traditional lands, uh, the far northwest of South Australia. Um, demonstrating for a number of years, finally um, secured their land through labour in um, in eighty one.
1: Mm. And how has the Act changed over forty years?
0: Well, it's it's actually hasn't changed too much. Um, the original Act was put in place, uh, you know, in a conversation with Anangu and um, the lawyers at the time. And Philip Tynan and others did a really good job in making sure the Act looked after the interest of Anangu but also made sure that um, it gave enough uh, ability to the stat- statutory officers to manage the Act. There have been some minor changes in um, 2005 to allow for more um, input of in decision-making and um, more, to, more um, power to them to uh, be involved in how the Act goes rather than leaving it just to the executive board. Mm-hmm. So there are a few more checks and balances that came in all of them um, make the act stronger and make the act more transparent. So, all mm. good, all good changes.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, nothing has ever been lost from what was initially promised.
0: No, nothing, nothing has been lost at all. Um, if if anything, it's um, given more control back to the traditional owners and uh, more power to have their say in different formats.
1: Yeah. So you say that there's more power to, for the actual traditional owners that you know live across the lands. Can you tell me what unites these communities?
0: Yeah, sure. Look, um, quite a few things. I mean, They've got a, uh, a culture that goes right across the far northwest, um, through to, you know, across three different tribes. So you've got the uh, Pidjandjarra, Yanganjarra and garajara. They, they share a, a common language. There are variations in the language um, across those areas. But generally, um, they can speak and talk to one another they have similar stories and traditional, um, what they call, tukupa, which is um, strong storylines um, which connect them together and open up resources um, to each of the tribes. Um, yeah, so there's quite a bit. And the land itself connects them together. Mm. And then you've got families that have, um, you know, connected with other families uh, throughout you know, throughout history. Mm.
1: Can you tell me what traditional connections the Anangu have have been able to uphold since the Act, or before that even, to
0: now? Well, in some ways, um, now that the land has belonged to them pretty much since 1981, people have had more access through the lands. Although the you know the pastoralists that were there previously um, gave access to to people, um, now because it's their own land, they have access right through. Some of the things they do is uh, each year around September, uh, business starts and everybody gets together and they, they practise their um, their cultural celebrations in the different places and they pass on knowledge to the next generation. Um, that's very strong. And I've actually noticed, I've only been there for six years, uh, and I've noticed over those six years that that, um, that cultural celebration and sharing of um, knowledge seems to be getting stronger. Yeah. Mm.
1: I have. We did a story recently on the Wadu ranges on the APY lands. Can you talk about other conservation work that's happening there?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, well, for your listeners, the Wadu, Wadu is a black-footed wallaby. Was previously extinct to the lands. Um, now we've got populations throughout the lands. We started with 25, and we're around about mm. six to seven hundred animals right across the lands now with that's four amazing. colonies. Um, our rangers do that. The other programs we have is um, our rangers go out um, looking after rock holes, cleaning rock holes and making sure that they're okay. They monitor where the invasive weeds are and uh, put in place some plants. At the moment, we've got a young lady who's doing her um, PhD in, in one of the invasive species, buffelgrass. And after that, we're hoping we'll be able to look at programs to eradicate uh, grass across mm. the lands. The other things we're doing um, in terms of conservation for the lands is we're working on on something called carbon farming. I think a lot of your listeners would know what that is. Yep. So APY is looking at managing some of our invasive species through intensive grazing where those invasive species are to reduce fuel loads and protect um, savannah um, lands mm-hmm. and also our, our mulga to grow. Um, we're looking at doing that to also generate an economy for animals. So, that money will be invested back in to look after country and to get more of our natural species growing. Mm. One of the things that happens up there is that because we've got a lot of invasive species, a lot of the, the perennials and natural nut grasses that are, are in the um, you know, arid regions can't compete with these invasive species. So all the animals like kangaroos and so forth are then drawn away from the lands because they can't get their natural food. So it's actually quite hard to find, um, you know, kangaroos on the lands because of that. And um, that's oh, wow. something we need to really get sorted, you know, get that balance, natural balance of arid zone, in particular APY, back to where it should be so that we start to, to you know, encourage those animals that um, usually yeah. are there. To yeah, come back. yeah. And,
1: I mean, yeah, I'd done a trip up to the lands recently. We'd kind of, you yeah, know, passed through. And I actually noticed that there, I didn't see many kangaroos, I saw more, yeah. further, you know, closer to the city than I did on the land. So, mm. yeah, it's a good example. And the um, the buffalo grass, that's kind of also from what I've read and learnt about the Wadu, like that can also affect the habitat and creates a bit of a you know tinder for fire to spark up. So, mm. you know, it's really important.
0: Yeah, buffalo grass is a, is an interesting um, invasive species because it um, sets its roots and. You can burn it, but it comes back twice as strong. Oh. The b- the fires of a buffalo uh, bush will burn at about a thousand degrees, which is a lot hotter than what our natural grasses burn. But the buffalo grass also grows right up to the mulga trees. Normal, um, if you look at say our our standard grasses, they generally don't go right up to the trunks of mulga. In yeah, fact, yeah. That, that um, shade area they keep on the outside of that, but buffalo will get right in there. Yeah. And the problem with that is when it burns so hot it gets the tree going mm. and then we lose our our, um, our coverage, which then affects the microclimate and it just has a knock-on effect right across the board. Mm. Well, it
1: sounds like there's extensive conservation work happening, which is good to hear. Um, what about conditions under COVID-19 in the communities?
0: Look... Um, in a strange way, COVID-19 have got all the communities closer together. Mm. We're communicating a lot more. Uh, we're using um, information technology a lot better. Um, before COVID-19 came on, in fact, about two years before, we, we'd put up seven uh, telecom towers right across the land, which encouraged people to use their, um, you know, their phones and new technologies and. We have noticed that people ordering online through parcels and and, um, the internet has increased since we put the towers in. Mm. But when COVID came on, we had the infrastructure to hold meetings right across the land, and we did. And we actually got quite a bit of uh, buy-in from the community councils. Now, APY is a land council, so we don't really have much to do with community councils in terms of... um, municipal services or anything like that. We just really manage access, use and control of the land itself on behalf of Unangham. COVID actually forced us to to, um, communicate a lot better with councils to the point now where the the executive have said we need to support our councils to grow. So APY executive uh, have um, invited councils to come and work with us and we're going to support them to grow uh, a Mm. pool of leadership right across the lands because... Once our, our current executive you know, retire, we need to have that pool to step up. So it's about educating the next um, next people coming up in good governance and good decision-making yeah. so that we have this solid, strong pool that understand what the APY land rights um, is about, but also APY lands, yeah. know how to manage your land on behalf of Unungam and have really good governance skills to step into those roles mm. in the future.
1: So it sounds like there really has been a silver lining with COVID-19. Isn't it?
0: Uh, yeah, there has. And you know, the other thing um, that's happened with COVID is um, people have become more aware of, of germs and, and washing hands and True. just a, a bit more careful about their distances with one another and shaking hands. Yeah. Um, initially, it started off slow, but everyone's got the message and everyone seems to be doing it and, and looking after one another.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You did uh, mention there, what sounds like to me, a bit of, you know, there could be changes to the way the lands are managed and what's happening there. Can you talk about what you'd like to see, you know, we can start off small, but maybe 40 years from now, do you have anything that you'd like to see happening?
0: 40 years from now, you know, none of us will be around in terms of um, us guys looking after it now. We've we've had this conversation, you know, in terms of, um, you know, in 15 years you know, how old we're going to be and who's who's behind us. And that's what's driving us bringing people in. I mean, what I'd like to see uh, is is Anangu themselves running the lands. I'd like to see an economy on the lands so people don't have to come to Adelaide uh, looking for work. I'd like to see um, those Anangu who have gone away and been educated at university Mm. have the opportunity to come back and really give back to their communities, you know, in their own lands. I think that's got to be the goal. We've got to make sure that APY has a future and that those traditional stories are passed on. But more than that, that um, Anangu themselves are in c- control of their own lands and making those decisions and have the skills and, and education in, in the two worlds to be able to really make the Land Rights Act do what it was uh, you know, established to do mm. and to secure a future for themselves and also to be thinking about you know, in 40 years' time for that that leadership group to be thinking about the next 40 years and what that's going to look like for, I don't know, in the the future from there.
1: Yeah, well, it's really promising to hear that you've already been thinking about that. Um, You know, 40 years is a long time from now, but really if you don't start thinking about it now, how those changes going to happen with all those small steps? Mm -hmm. Um, Also, did want to ask, you know, we'll kind of wrap up the interview in a second, but, you know... Past or present, is there anyone you'd like to thank for their contribution to, you know, we could say the AP Lands Act or, you know, just in general, is there anyone you want to thank?
0: Oh, look, I've only really been there six years so it's um, sort of hard for me to sort of look back on it. But, sure. look, those people originally who, who marched for it and who, who really stood up for their rights, you know, hats off to them, they, they were able to provide really good leadership for the next generation. Those executive members now who have put their hand up and and who have worked through what could only be described as a tumultuous time in the last six or seven years to bring the APY executive and and the APY lands um, group to where it is today. You know, we we have no debt, we have no litigation, we have a bright future, and and we're planning now for the future rather than dealing with the issues of the day. Um, So hats off to those guys too. One of the things that I have noticed with um, you know a lot of the the pressure that's put on this particular executive group is that um, they've risen to the occasion and it's made them stronger and it's made them uh, more resilient. Um, that sort of battle hardening you can really only get when you're exposed to uh, hard times, mm. and, and they've definitely come through them. And now we're, we're you know we're not treading water. We're on the bank looking back thinking, OK, now where do we go in the future from here? Yeah. And and that's a good thing, so hats off to them too. And Look, along the way, um, Labor was, was originally the ones that handed back the lands, um, but the APY um, and the APY executive in particular have enjoyed bipartisan support from both Labor and Liberal over the years, and they should be acknowledged for that. And without that type of support and that sort of commitment from both sides of government, it's difficult to really get really uh, move on yeah. uh, along the way. But um, we've uh, been lucky to enjoy both sides of those supports. And you know vice versa, we've supported them too mm. uh, throughout those times. so um, it is a, a big slice of South Australia. It's 10 percent of South Australia, and uh, we couldn't do it without the support of those. But um, personally. I would like to thank um, you know, our director, Mr. Rex Jarmy. He's been there for 15 years. Um, I'd like to thank Mr. Bernard Singer. He's, he's been in and out of executive for a long time, but the leadership those guys show and the character they bring and the commitment over those amount of years has, is exemplary, and they do it mainly for their, for their people. Mm. And um, you couldn't do it without people having that um, corporate history to, to drive it forward yeah so look hats off to those guys but all the executive who have put their hand up to be a leader in the APYs is it's not a easy gig so they all um, should be commended for that because it's a lot of pressure from family it's a lot of pressure from government mm. and um, they also have to maintain their their standing in, in their world yeah. but also be able to work in a European world as well so yeah Not an easy gig, but they all seem to do it really well. So good on them.
1: Yeah, no, I think that that's that's always the battle. And, you know, uh, thanks so much for sharing and speaking with Aboriginal Way about the 40th anniversary of the APY Lands Act. Um, Obviously, we weren't... You you weren't able to celebrate the Act on the date or around the date of when it happened, but it sounds like there's going to be a celebration happening next year, if possible.
0: Yep, we've got a celebration planned for the 10th of uh, April next year. We're looking at a couple of things. Um, we're going to be launching the tourist strategy. That's another thing we've got we've been planning to do for a while. We want to encourage people you know, to come through and, and to look at the APY and, and have, a, have a chance to get that cultural immersion. What people don't realise about the APY is that um, we're the gateway. We're the gateway to Uluru. Mm. And all those stories that end up in that significant place actually start in the APY. So if you really want to know what Australia is about, you really need to, to come through the APY and have that cultural immersion, have that experience. But um, numbers will be limited. Yeah. We're, we're not looking at having you know, um, a caravan of cars come through. We're looking at low volume, yeah. high yield and high um, intense experience of people who do come through and, and enjoy that opportunity to meet Anangu and to find out what Australia is really like from Yeah the people who are still living in the the way they always have for the last 60,000 years.
1: Thank you for listening to Aboriginal Way, a podcast by South Australian Native Title Services. I'm your host, Caleb Sweeting, and as always, I'll catch you next time.